0: So Isabel, thank you so much for joining us on Lead Tail TV. Really excited to have you here.
1: Thank you for inviting me. Thrilled to be here.
0: Good. Well, let's go ahead and just jump right in. I'd love to know and I, I know you have such a fascinating background. Um I was doing my homework on a whole bunch of things and I've got uh so much to go over here, but I just wanted to to uh, start with um understanding your first your role. Um I know back in the 90s was actually you know, it was AI related. I'd love to know more about that.
1: Yes, it was, it was, but it was not called AI then. But uh, my very first job was a research engineer on speech recognition and speaker verification. And I work on the very first phone from a company that does not even exist anymore called Nortel Networks, very first mobile phone where you can talk to and say, call home, uh, call mom, call dad, you know and uh and it was ai related but at the time you know we didn't have the processing power the database that we have today youtube google uh did not existed so uh, we had to build our own database we had to read books uh, in a, in a soundproof you know room to just collect enough speech um to be able to do our work and i'm so glad i'm so glad that the progress allowed it to be even better the models to be more powerful and um and more reliable
0: what did you learn from that that you carried through into your career? I'm, I'm just curious because now, now we're sitting here in in you know uh, a lot more AI, and I'm I'm curious to to hear what maybe you you learned then that now now maybe either it applies or maybe it doesn't.
1: Well, first of all, I think I, I have a lot more appreciation for the progress that has been made and for what is being achieved today because I know how hard it has been because I know how you know, um inefficient and unperforming. It was 20 years ago because of the lack of data and processing power. So uh, I really realized the progress we've made, but also it was a fantastic school because now, you know, I don't have to catch up as much. I understand all the concepts. So I have to, of course, stay up to speed and read about it. But, you know, the, the concepts are not novel. The iterative models are things that I've worked with then. the the change of the way, the learning process, the inputs, you know, that will define the outputs are all things and concepts I played with. It's just, I didn't have the tool. It's like, I knew how to drive, but I I had a very antiquated car and now they have a Ferrari. So.
0: (laughs) Well, if this is the Ferrari, I can't wait to hear what you say in 10 years from now. Spaceship. Um, (laughs) Spaceship. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be interesting. And that's where I'd love to go next is, you know, as you know, that AI or artificial intelligence is all over the news. It's not just in the news. It's, it's like everything that, you know, I don't know how many tools are coming out daily, um, built on top of some, some of the AI platforms. Um, but what I'm really curious about is its impact on marketing. Um, you know, it's already apparent that it's going to help marketing in, in a lot of different ways, and I, I I would imagine barely even scratching the surface. What are some of the things AI is really good at that you you know about that you're you're loving, and where do you think it falls short that it needs to still you know enhance and and see some improvements?
1: Oh well. Um, well, first, I think, you know, marketers in general have always been adopters of technology. The only way we do our job and we can scale and we can better, you know, personalize and segment the market is using technology. Um, AI is not new. So I also teach at Santa Clara University, the marketing tech stack. So I've been looking and thinking about it a lot. Um, And you're right, Um, there is a lot of applications today. Actually, in 2020, there were 8,000 applications available to marketers to build their marketing tech stack. And AI was already part of it. We all use a chatbot, we all use data analytics for marketing mix or e-commerce data. Uh, I think the hype right now and really the the buzz is because of generative AI, but not just AI. Like the American Marketing Association in 2019, August 2019, did a survey, and there were 27% more usage of AI uh, by marketers compared to 18 months before. And Deloitte did a survey in 2020 where they asked all the early adopters of AI what were their top use cases. And at the end, they found out that out of the five top use cases, three of them were marketing. So yes. Uh, marketing and AI are meant to be together. Uh, and, and I think, you know, the, the excitement today is really because of generative AI. So AI was used in a passive way to analyze content and data, to do segmentation, to do all these type of things. Now, for the first time, it can be used proactively to generate data, not just analyze it. And that opened a realm of possibilities. Uh, and, and that's why people are excited about it. One of the most you know um, common possibilities, of course, is content creation. You know you we want to segment the market. We can do it today, but even if we have a very refined segmentation, usually the bottleneck is, let's say you have 50 market segments that you can create, but you don't have an army of marketers to write content for 50 different personas, right? And now with uh, chat GPT and the generative AI, you can actually start creating a lot more content faster. So you can remove that bottleneck. Uh, there are a lot of companies out there that already exist um, that actually are very specialized. They can do content for ebooks, content for blogs, content for email. My own company, Bravo, we do uh, generative AI for email title and content. So. It is something that, you know, um, is going to make everybody's life easier. Um, now you ask me also, where is it going to f- fall short? Well, it's still early stage. So, mm-hmm. you know, are we, are we going to all have the same content because we all put the same inputs and then, you know, all the benefit will wave off with time. I don't know. Um, I will also be worried about the cost, to be honest. Mm-hmm. Uh, because it's like everything is, is going to consume more processing power, more storage. And for every prompt you're making, you're going to be charged and you're going to start making a lot of prompts. So things are to keep in mind, you know, measure the return on investment, maybe using it for the specific task first uh, before going further. And also, of course, a lot of startups and tools we're using now, who knows, they're still going to be around two years from now. Everybody's talking about the VC investing a lot into, uh, AI and, um, we'll see what the return is for them. And, you know, how many of those startups will stay afloat?
0: Man, it is, um, it is the wild west again. It's almost like, it feels like to me, like when the internet first started, um, because there's so much more to this than just the internet. I mean, it really, you know, jumps in so many different directions and is yet to be explored. It's like a completely new, um, Born baby, that we're all, uh, we all have access to, and we're looking for, uh, you know, the answers. And yet, the answers really aren't there yet, even though we're seeing early signs of already great productivity and uh, incredible use cases, just like you just explained, which is, you know, exactly what what I was hoping for. Um, You know, I know one of the issues that marketers face is, is personalization um and and i'll say this too uh, having been the person who wrote a book about, called eight a- human to human personalization uh can only go so far um before you have to have a human interaction which is really what you want at the end of the day i think you'd, i think you'd agree um but buyers expect personalization in their trans- interactions with companies uh, and yet it's difficult to do that at scale. So is this an area where you think AI could be effective and, and where do you see it like breaking from, from robot to human?
1: Oh, well, that's a one million dollar question, Brian, but, but I agree with you. Um, the, that's what customer expect. Um, you know, we all now are very much, very much comfortable with online purchase in our uh, personal life. And we carry that over into our professional life. So we're willing now to share more information with vendors in a B two B context, uh, but then we expect to have a highly personalized content back, uh, and we and marketers have fallen short for the the reason I mentioned. You know, in terms of the, to very highly personalize, you need to micro segment. You can micro segment with AI, but then you could not keep up with the content. Now you could potentially. I will say hyper personalization is not just content though you have to think about the whole customer journey. Uh, You know, the consideration phase, the acquisition phase, the renewal phase, and every customer is different. Some people will spend a lot of time considering the solution, but then when they're ready, they take their credit card and they purchase in one shot. Others will read a bit about it, but they prefer to talk to someone and negotiate their contract to be custom for them. So I think also in addition of... Having your micro segment, having your content, the how to communicate which content at what time to the right person and not even over the right channel. Because you can be email, it can be WhatsApp, it can be SMS. So it's so multi dimensional. Honestly, I don't think any marketer can create rules and it all has to be helped by AI who can see patterns and can really adjust and share the right content to predict the next step in the customer journey and make this efficient. Uh, we have a, a feature, for instance, on Bravo. I think just explaining this, you realize that you can't do it on your own. It's called best time. And mm-hmm. pretty much, let's say you do your um, Black Friday email and you send it to your list and the system will know exactly at what time of the day for each individual. The email should be sent because they know this is when they open their email. Mm-hmm. Who can track that and who can manually, you know, um, send those emails or even schedule those emails? You you need technology for that. And AI obviously is by far uh, what everybody is going to leverage for that.
0: Mm. You know, I, I wish that I had that for my own text messaging so that I could schedule stuff the night before because it's always way too late at night to wish somebody a happy birthday at, you know, <laughs> one in the morning. Um, even though I know that's possible in business, um, but, the, you know, you want to, you want to reach out and then a day later, you're like, oh, I forgot. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, this is the kind of stuff where, you know, hopefully uh, there's, there's this kind of reminder, these ways that we can start to be prompted to be more human.
1: Absolutely. And so, so then that's the thing. Behind all of that, there is always a human because at the end of the day, AI is using historical data. Okay, so they will predict based on what they know, but there are things they don't necessarily know because it's not on the internet. Let's say you have a new regulation and suddenly some customers stop buying certain things in some states because, I don't know, um, they're not allowed to sell it. Well, of course, I'm very French. So let's say foie gras suddenly it cannot be sold anymore. The system cannot predict that. So you still need some human supervision. You still need some of that interaction and also in terms of innovation. You know, you can use Chat GPT to brainstorm ideas, but at the end of the day, understanding the market or even making a bet. You know, mm-hmm. everybody talks about Steve Jobs and the iPhone where nobody was asking for an iPhone, yeah. but he has his vision. Well, that's the same thing. Nobody can predict. I think for now, maybe you know, with super intelligent system, we will be able to but predict what is it that customer needs, but they don't even know they do. But right now, we are planning with the regular data, but human will still be involved. Um, you know, as things evolve, we'll see. We'll see how much of that involvement is needed.
0: You know, this this is gonna make gift giving a lot easier um, <laughs> because. I have a hard time as it is. So if I could have something just to just read through, this is everything the person loves. And here are lots of options you could pick from. Oh my God. Um, that's just one thing, but you know, I'm, I'm just thinking, how can I, how can it make my life, uh, you know, a little easier? And, um, and, and I know that there's a lot of data that's going to help drive that. And we're, we're just, you know, the data is there and yet it's not. And there's so many different aspects to, you know what use cases we could use and yet there's that's the problem there are so many use cases that that I'm I'm curious do you think that there are uh, like like companies should stay in their silo in their in their lane um and because there's so many different ways that all of a sudden you could look at something and go well we could spin that off we could do that with this we could do that with this we could do that with this and all of a sudden before you know it you're not a CRM company or you're not a uh call it whatever kind of company you're, you're now a a company building like these little offshoots and that could get, get a little nuts. So how do you stay? How do you stay in your lane? And how do you stay focused with with so many different ways that you can head?
1: Oh i I think it's like everything. you know you still need to have I don't know thirty percent, just put a limit, whatever you're comfortable with. you know Google had this one day a week for experimentation. Just do this. take thirty, twenty percent and experiment because maybe you don't want to be a CRM company anymore. Maybe you want to be something else if you realize by testing it. Uh, I just love the example you said when you say, oh, I want people to tell me what I should buy for whom. And in my head, immediately, I'm like, oh, my God, what if Amazon acquire Facebook? Because now they know everybody what we like to buy and they know our network. And then they could actually make recommendations about our network based on their Amazon purchase. So see, just you telling me this use case in my head I start, it starts spinning about, oh, this is a marriage of social media and of e-commerce, you know, um, platform. So, so yeah, so you should try. Why? You should experiment. You should, you should look into this and maybe, maybe you stay in your lane and you become really good at it. Or maybe you realize that the data you have will take you somewhere else much bigger. And, and I think, you know, back to your comment earlier where you felt that it's like um, an inflection point. Just like when the internet came, I totally agree with you. It is an inflection point. Uh, no. We're talking about marketing here, but AI applies to healthcare. It applies no. to everything pretty much. And so just like the internet helped us be better at everything we do pretty much because suddenly knowledge was available to all uh, and, and exchange and communication was made easy. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I will not limit myself now. You know, you need to make a living. You need to run a business. So don't put all your resources and, you know, um, experiment for months and days without focusing on your business. But you should absolutely keep an open mind and yeah. keep some free time to be able to experiment. And, and by the way, you should experiment now. If you mm-hmm. should don't start playing with AI now, six months from now, with gpt 6 multimodal uh, AI generation, and you won't you won't be able to keep up. Like you will have too much to learn at once, and you will be the one walking when everybody else is running.
0: Right. Yep. Uh, you know, we say that uh, we're, we're the market. Us marketers are really good at that. Like you, you're going to miss out if you don't do it now. Yeah. Um, and and I'm curious uh, too as as AI becomes more ubiquitous uh, especially in in customer interactions what are ways that we can maintain that human touch um that that uh, and i know you guys do this a lot i think at your your company um but maybe even outside the company how can ai and humans share the work of these interactions and engagement um without um without overdoing it on one side or the other
1: well, I, I know for AI, how it's done today, obviously, generative AI is a bit trickier because it sounds a lot more human. Uh, like, you know, the logic that you can ask, the way you ask questions and they understand it is a lot more sophisticated than the regular chatbot uh you used to have so far, right? So um, how it is done today is even if we use AI, people are very much, and I think the most successful example is when we are very informed you know you're not talking to a human. You know, they say it's virtual assistant, it's a full disclosure. You ask questions and then you understand this limitation. And when you say, you know, I can't, I'm going to call a, a human now. You're like, okay. You know, what's very annoying and deceiving is when they try to imitate a human and then on your own, you understand it's not. So I, I think my first advice to any marketer leveraging AI is to put the full disclaimer and mm-hmm. always have a path to reach out to a human. Uh, which I I think today is kind of respected, which chat GPT and generative AI and all those tools and now natural language is better understood and better created. Um, We'll see. I mean, I I wish we still apply the same, but I think it will be much easier to fake it. Hmm. And so uh, I don't know how a customer will be comfortable with that. Um, You know, it, it really depends. It's like in medicine, in healthcare, You know, um, AI can detect cancer looking at radios much earlier than the human eyes. So obviously, I think everybody will want an AI in their life to do that. But at the end of the day, the empathy and the news and, you know, the treatment should be done by humans to support you. And so um, there is a fine line and it really depends on the use case
0: last couple questions one is i'm curious because i noticed that in your title you had ceo and cmo of north america i don't know if that's where what you're at currently or not but i do want to explore that just for a second because it's that's an interesting dichotomy of caring both um both not just titles but both directions like you're carrying the direction of the company and the direction of marketing and i was just curious it it really uh was neat that you're doing that and i'm curious how you do that how do you separate yourself in the two different lanes and 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 being able to merge when it's possible and then also separate yourself when it's possible
1: yeah so um that's a great question and just to give a little bit more uh, context and background for our uh, I, I work for Brevo, uh, a CRM company um, that's reached a central status, so 100 million ARR uh, in January uh, 2023. And I am their global CMO, so for the whole company, but I'm the CEO for North America, so just one market segment. Okay. Uh, but, you know, um, your question raised two or three interesting points, in my opinion. First of all, Brevo is a product-led growth, so until two or three years, we entirely sold online. People will find us on the internet through, you know, uh, advertisement, search, and they will try our product. We have a freemium model, and then they were purchasing it. And so, in a way, marketing was also sales. And this is how actually we grew in North America with even having, you know, except for support, having a team in North America because everything was online. So first, you know, marketing and growth in a new market segment are very tight at Brevo just because of our business model. The second thing that, um, you know, your question led me to, to talk more about is I've been in SaaS for the last 10 years. I have an engineering background. In the past, my Competitive differentiator, let's put it that way, is obviously not my French accent compared to, you know, uh, Americans or uh, being more creative because being an engineer, you know, I, but it was that I could explain technology, very complex technology into simple world and I could see how it will help our customers solve their problem. Ten years uh, ago, when SaaS started becoming core and I started marketing in SaaS my competitive differentiator shift also to demand gen because there are so many analytics in SaaS. And suddenly things that, you know, about the market, I will go to the sales team to ask them as a proxy for customers. I was becoming, like my team, marketing was becoming a proxy for the customers because especially in product-led growth, it's all about stats. How many customers are purchasing here if you change this, but uh place, you know, do we have more people? If you add this to the trial version, do they convert more? And you become kind of the market expert. And I do believe that even if in the past, a lot of CFOs and chief revenue officer were becoming CEOs because they had this knowledge of the market and how the business was being run. CMOs now have a better shot at becoming CEOs too, because in SaaS, you do have a much broader impact on the business, like your revenue generating function, not just a cost function anymore. And, uh, you have a better understanding of the business. So for me, it's very, it was very natural to have both roles. And obviously, you know, being, um, Having lived in the U.S. for 22 years, I can bring to Brevo, who is a, a French headquarter company, all my knowledge on the market. So these were all the so many reasons why both roles together made sense.
0: Uh, my favorite thing that you just said is it's revenue generating as a marketer. Like, And I know that that's that to be true. Actually, I should say one of. Um, my favorite, because, you know, for so many years, uh, it was like, you know, fighting an uphill battle. And now all of a sudden, the proof is right there that this actually works. It's, it's, you know, really does convert convert. And at the same time, uh, you know, the brand and some of the untouchables PR and things that really don't show a true conversion, like digital does matter just as much and so um you know it all plays a role i know we know that as marketers um how do you uh um and how do you look at that and go okay well yes that's a conversion but we have to do these things because they all matter do you have like a a, a sense a general sense as to how your your um uh, you see uh non converting um marketing items versus converting
1: well, I think everything converts, including brand. It's just a different way, uh, like you know, we just did um, a global launch about a new platform. Granted, you know, I don't know how many people I've seen the news, I've seen our press release, I've seen the press articles, but I know how many of them, after seeing it, are coming to the website.: Oh uh, yeah. And, and you know, it's just like when you do a brand event. Of course, all, you do a big event. Not all the people who come at your booth are ready to buy a new CRM. But I know that six months from now, I'm going to see them in the marketing pipeline somewhere. And we'll talk because now is the time for them to consider. So I think everything can be tracked. I think the value of doing brand event and brand awareness has an impact on the business. That's why we do it. Before, we were maybe doing it for gut feeling. Yeah, but now actually, I think you can really measure it—not accurately, granted—but you you know that if you don't do it, you will see your pipeline decline anyway. Uh. So uh, and then you you you'll track it six months from now. So yes, there is a leap of faith for six months for a year, but in the end, you will see them.
0: Um um, you're making my whole day right now. Um, okay, so my last question to you is is that you're, you're also a marketing professor at a, a school near where I used to live, as we were just talking about um, before we started, um, and a lecturer at Santa Clara University Levy School of Business. What uh, conversations are you having with students, especially related to AI uh, right now? I'm curious what they're seeing.
1: So my last class was before ChatGPT reached 100 million users. So it was uh-huh. more traditional AI and they still had a lot of questions uh, because obviously, and that's why I love teaching to students, they keep me on my toes. They were more informed about AI than an average uh, person, an average marketer. We, unfortunately, we have to you know, to run a business at the same time. So time spent for research is not as uh, as much as students. And that's why I love it. Um, so they had a lot of questions. We talk about privacy in the class. Uh, how much data do you collect about customer? How much do you feel it's fair to use for them and, you know, to deliver value versus to try to sell more? You know, it's a fine line of ethics of privacy. Uh, we talk about the efficiency of chatbots, uh, using AI and at the time before the uh, chat GPT era. Uh, it was, you know, yeah, it's great for support question, the most frequent asked question for sales, but you know, you always have to switch to a human. Uh, and I'm refreshing my class right now because my next one is going to be in winter, uh, um, this, this year, uh, to have a lot more generative AI. And I'm going to have some exercise using, you know, chat GPT and we'll see. Uh, we'll see what are their questions now because to our earlier discussion, There is a fine line now between, you know, full disclosure, deception, how much data is too much data. And also one thing is when you use a shared tool, like everything you put in chat GPT will be used for others. Mm -hmm. So are you going to put proprietary data there and then everybody will level off? Or do you Mm -hmm. want to build your own AI? Mm. and keeping your data. So I think a lot of um, the discussion and what I want my students to think about is how do you triage data? When do Mm. you use off-the-shelf AI and that's okay? Because it will make you more productive, but not necessarily differentiated. And where do you keep your own uh, data and Mm. you build in-house AI because this is called to your business? I think that's where I like them to start thinking about because the question will become more and more um, important.
0: Well, don't be surprised if I don't show up at the back of your class, because that sounds <laughs> fascinating. That, that's just like uh, the topics of, of what I would hope is on everyone's minds. And you're probably going to learn just as much, like you said before, from them as, as, uh, as you'll teach. And I can't wait to hear what you guys find. That, that's incredible. And, uh, and thank you. Thank you so much for sharing your time and your knowledge and, and yourself on uh, LeadTel TV. This has been fantastic. I really enjoyed it.
1: Oh, Brian, thank you so much for welcoming me. You know, I can talk about marketing and AI all day long. So it's been my privilege and pleasure. Thank you.
0: Thank you as well. We'll talk to you soon.